Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back, everyone, to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And before we get into any of today's episode, our last episode, we released Halo 2, our biggest episode to date. And we got a lot of great feedback on that, actually having a lot of people say that that was their favorite episode that we've done so far. So I thought that was really cool. uh, And I just want to shout out to everyone who has given us some feedback on that or listened to us. Uh, We're we're really kind of getting the word out about Finish the Fight. And I think it's really cool to hear people telling us one reason or another why they like this podcast. Yeah, so I just really want to thank you guys. Like, it's been super cool for me and Jesse to be able to do this, be able to take time to get with you guys on Instagram, on Discord, on Twitter, on whatever platform you guys have been reaching out to us. It's been really cool to hear your opinions, be able mm-hmm. to meet some of you through Xbox Live and things like that. So we're really excited to see where this goes. Join our Discord, by the way. Yeah, join our Discord. Yeah, so, and we've also got some updates around just the Halo community and MCC in general. So this is a June update. So this update actually dropped the day we were recording the Halo 2 mm-hmm. podcast. So we didn't have this this info, but this is the MCC development June update. And we discussed this a little bit with our Discord group. But one of the big announcements is that they're going to be bringing the maps that you created, you and I created, Jesse, of course, from the original mm-hmm. Halo 3 Halo Reach and Halo 4 and bring them into MCC. So stuff that you saved on your old 360 and things like that, mm-hmm. you'll be able to actually port over. I've got actually have some really bad but really fun Halo Reach maps that I am ready to bring over to game night. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what we were talking about too is is so so many of us especially when we were younger and had the time really built these maps up, had a huge amount of fun with our friends on it. So now being able to not have to recreate that yeah. and just be able to port that over is going to be really cool. So they're going to be rolling that out first with Xbox at launch whenever Halo Reach you know, hits their mark that they're coming up yeah. with. And then it'll come out later for PC. Yeah, that's again, that's going to be a really cool thing to do, especially since there are phenomenal maps out there on Reach. I know Reach and Reach Elevated, Forge and Custom Game Nights and all that to just create these really wacky and fun games. So it's going to be really cool to see that insurgence come over to MCC. Yeah, so I'm excited. So, yeah, pick out your favorite game types, your favorite maps that you have. The only thing you won't be able to bring over are your game clips and your pictures that you took, Mm -hmm. because apparently what they said uh, in their update is that they couldn't figure out a way to properly do it. It's 2019. Which which is fine. It's 2019. We should be able to do that. You shame on you. You should, but also who cares? <laughs> it's it's neat clips you took with your friends. Well, you can get them on. You know, you can find them on your old 360 and send them out any other way. You don't need them on your one. Yeah, it'll be fine. And some of the biggest news we have is that firefight on. Halo Reach for PC flight testing is coming later this month. And I know a lot of people are excited about that. And honestly, Firefight has been a staple in, or at least for a while, was a staple in Halo since ODST. 
and we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen it since ODST and Reach. I mean, we did yeah. get Spartan Ops in MCC, but we haven't seen Reach in MCC yet. Yeah, and even like Halo 5 kind of tried it, but still some negative feedback with it. I think like really, truly, if you want what Firefight is about, it's in ODST and it's in Reach. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so with the flight testing coming out, you'll those selected will be able to test it out, which hopefully means when we do get Reach release... We'll get that for both Xbox One, PC, mm-hmm. and hopefully some ODST firefight in the future. We'll see. I, I think they'll add it in once they do the flight testing for PC as well, because they're they're doing everything chronologically. So reach CE to ODST and three. Yeah, and then the one thing to add on to that, uh, each game coming out for MCC for PC is going to be $10 a piece mm-hmm. with ODST being 5 Yeah, and I think that's a great deal. It is, because if there's certain games that you don't enjoy, let's say, so much, or that you don't want to spend another 60 right away, you can just spend 10 at a time. Exactly. Yeah, and so some other updates, some quick ones. I know we had talked about Downfall uh, Halo fan game. They released an official, I'm not sure if it's totally official, but they released an image of their UI. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really looking cool. Halo SPV3 has a point two update. So they not only have updated graphics, but they have additional campaign levels where you play as the Arbiter, or not the Arbiter, you play as Thel mm-hmm. before he became the Arbiter along with uh, Artas. And that looks fantastic phenomenal like i i I texted alex about this i think like a link to it i was like dude we need to play this game here soon and i think we're going to because it just looks amazing i watched a few playthroughs of a mission and it just it looks amazing uh another update is that halo ce on mcc is actually getting an upgrade because i know a while ago Late Night Gaming released a video talking about how the version that they use on MCC was actually the PC ported version and how that was a huge downgrade. And so in light of that, we're going to get a better version of Combat Evolved on MCC, which I think is long overdue. And another thing I want to add in is that Wicked Cool Toys are going to be producing stuff for or toys for halo infinite when it comes out next year yeah they just they just signed the deal up so for those of you who don't know wicked cool toys uh, they were founded in 2012 they carry brands like pokemon cabbage patch kids a couple wwe things and it seems that they're kind of more centered on kids toys would you say yeah you see a lot of plush stuff a lot of plush stuff and i think one of the biggest things for gaming crowd as well besides pokemon and that is that they're one of the official brands for ninja the streamer? Yeah, it, I, it kind of blows my mind seeing streamers having their own merch done by other companies. Yeah, that's like, outside that's so of crazy. like Streamlabs, things like that. Yeah. Uh, another one is that 343 confirmed that Infinite will be able to run on Xbox One, but they did say, hey, it will run best on the Scarlet. Because, of course, go buy a Scarlet. That, that's what Microsoft is definitely trying to sell. Yeah, that's what they're pushing. And I wouldn't say for anybody to go buy something you're not going to use. But if you are planning on going over, I mean, this happened with Grand Theft Auto V when they had their quote-unquote original port for the 360 and PS3. And then shortly after, released for the Xbox One, the PS4, and then the PC release. A lot of the perks you got, you didn't get in the older gens. Uh So I would recommend, if you have the money when it's launching and if you can do that, 
go the Scarlet way, so that way you have the longevity of it, and mm-hmm. you're not buying it for an older console. Yeah, and well, the Xbox One I have is the first gen, mm-hmm. so I, I definitely, I'm going to get the Scarlet just because I want the best way to be able to play this, and plus, God only knows, playing Infinite on the first gen Xbox One, it's probably not going to play the best, and by all means, that happens. And the final update I have is, we've all seen that Infinite cover that was released shortly after E3. The artist who did that actually said that that was an in-game engine render. Mm -hmm. So that was pulled straight from the game. So they're really, really pushing this engine, which makes me really excited because I can't remember the last time Halo or 343 has been like, hey, check out this amazing engine we're working on. We've had it. They they did a whole game engine trailer last year just about it. Well, I mean, yeah, with the Slipspace engine, you have an entire website dedicated to it. So if you have the time, check it out. And that's also another reason to push you towards the Scarlet. Yeah. You're probably not going to get the full depth that they want to really show you mm-hmm. on the one. It'll probably be a downgraded version of it, uh, depending on what they're pushing. So once again, we're not sponsored by any of this. We're not doing it. I'm just saying for the best way to play your game and the best way to really mm-hmm. visually see this is to use the latest hardware. By the way, Microsoft, if you want to send us a few bucks for this, we are... Or Scarlet or Infinite <laughs> when it comes out, whatever you want to do. <laughs> send us something, a, a, a gift card, anything. Anything, we'll take it. Yeah. So let's move on today to to the meat and potatoes of the episode, which is the Halo graphic novel. This is the first comic we're going to be covering, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a little bit of an untraditional comic as it's kind of an anthology. It's uh, four short stories, and I actually really, really liked it. So to dive into it, the Halo graphic novel is the first comic book in the Halo universe. It was released July 19, 2006, and was published by Marvel Comics and contains 128 pages revolving around four untold stories in the Halo universe, including additional art at the end. So before we even go any further with this, let's talk about kind of comics themselves and even let, let's let talk about Marvel. Yeah, so so as Jesse said, so we got published by Marvel, which we'll dive into a little bit on how cool that is for a video game company to get their first graphic novel published by them. Yeah. Uh, but to start, many of us, I think probably all of us know Marvel itself, uh, but just wanted to give you guys a little bit of background on it and kind of dive into, you know, what was Marvel around that time? So Marvel Comics is the brand name and primary imprint of Marvel Worldwide Inc., formerly Marvel Publishing Inc., and Marvel Comics Group, a publisher of American comic books and related media. And in 2009, as many of you know, the Walt Disney Company acquired Marvel Entertainment, Marvel Worldwide's parent company, for, you know, various movies, other rights with that. To just make a buttload of cash on. Exactly. And so for those of you who don't know, Marvel started off in 1939 as Timely Comics. And by the early 1950s, had generally become known as Atlas Comics. And so the Marvel era as we know it today began in 1961, the year that the company launched the Fantastic Four and other superhero titles created by Steve Ditko, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and many others. The Marvel brand has been used over the years, but solidified as the company's only brand within a couple of years. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy that the the level of impact that Marvel has had. Of course, we have DC and, and other kind of smaller companies 
but really when I think of comics, I personally think of Marvel. I know I have, I, I do like some, like Batman is still my favorite comic book character, but that doesn't mean as a whole, I like Marvel more. And especially with the MCU and the popularity of that, Marvel is a, is a household brand at this point. You, you, you can't think of Marvel without thinking of just everything that's going on in media right now from games and movies to toys, everything. Well, and everyone compares the battle of, you know, the DC Marvel rivalry, Mm -hmm. which it is. I mean, DC is your second largest publishing house, but Marvel's always maintained the majority share. Mm -hmm. And going into, we'll go in as we go through like different movies and products that came out in the early 2000s. I mean, you had stuff like Spider-Man and things like that that were Marvel, technically Sony. But it's a Marvel character itself, you know. Yeah, so let's talk about comic kind of culture within the time that the graphic novel was going to be released or being conceptualized. Yeah, so I I figure we'll break down kind of the early 2000s for you guys to just kind of go through what was going on around the time, especially in comics, because you're just now coming off the 90s, which is one of the worst eras for comics. People weren't buying them. The art style was weird and different. And you can have an entire podcast dedicated to just that aspect I'm of sure, it. I'm sure there are many yeah. podcasts just breaking down 90s comics and, alone. And, and so coming off that, uh, one of the big pushes to really get comic books back in the light was trying it in different medias. Yeah. Yeah, we would see a lot of movies coming out, which really kind of, as a kid, did pique my interest mm-hmm. in the early 2000s because that made me go and start picking up comic books. It really did. And so you did have comic movies kind of throughout all the years. And in the 90s, mm-hmm. you had plenty. But one of the big pushes was in 2000 when you had X-Men released. That was a great movie. Which is one of the first to really get a star-studded major group Mm -hmm. together and really do a really cool telling. Yeah. It made Hugh Jackman eventually get jacked. Yeah. So thank you, X-Men, for doing that. <laughs> yeah. And then w- what else was coming out within like the mid or early 2000s? So, so you had various other titles, but one of the big things to note is that in 2002, Marvel was number one in over one third of the retail share and publishing over 40% of the books was dedicated to them. That's crazy. I mean, I mean, they ruled the roost at that point. Uh, they also helped push the first free comic book day, uh, which is really, really awesome. And then that's also the same year that you had Spider-Man released, which was the biggest box office hit at the time for an opening weekend. Yeah, I will say I remember when I was a kid watching something and it was just like the they broke down the the 20 most popular superheroes at the time. And Spider-Man was number one. And if it wasn't for that movie, he would have been pushed back because I remember like Batman was two or Batman was three. Superman was two. And then Spider-Man was one. So Mm -hmm. that movie helped make Spider-Man as well, like uh, one of the greatest characters, even even after so with these newer movies coming out. Yeah, and, and especially for the big push was for Sony, because years ago, whenever Marvel sold off Fantastic Four and the the rights to Fantastic Four and the rights to Spider-Man, mm-hmm. the big thing was that Sony had to start producing content for it yeah. instead of just sitting on it. So this is a really big push for them, which was awesome. Um, and I know a thing that you and I hold dear comes the next year, and I think what got both of us pretty pushed into comics mm-hmm. was you had the first issue of Walking Dead come out. Yeah, and that that is just, that was a huge push for comics as well, because that was such a, we and we talked about it in our Could We Survive a Flood Outbreak, it was such a different take on the zombie phenomenon that was happening at the time. And it wasn't a superhero. That was a big push. And, mm-hmm. and you already had Image, though, so you had McFarlane and plenty of other artists who had left Marvel to form Image. Mm-hmm. And for Image to put this out, 
was awesome. And and to have other content such as Preacher and various other titles to come out from them is really cool because it has kind of a superhero aspect-ish to it, or hero aspect, I guess I would say. I, I think it's it's that they assign gimmicks to characters, and mm-hmm. I think that's what made it work perfectly of Negan with Lucille and all these other things. Like, characters had gimmicks, so it was almost like you could, you could assign not so much a power, but that kind of associated thing with them. Yeah, and it wasn't just their one identity. They kind mm-hmm. of could build on what this human was, but make him still a villain or make him a hero which I really liked. And then same year, you had various other movies like Daredevil, Hulk, X2 come out, uh, continuing along those streaks, which is really awesome. And then it leads us into 2004, which is when we start seeing Marvel start to pair up with some video games. Yeah, again, I remember starting playing around probably that time. I was playing a few X-Men games. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that really definitely, again, is escalating the culture of comic books. Yeah, and and this game, too, for some reason, I I enjoy it, but it's gone down as a fantastic game is Marvel Ultimate Alliance. And that's where you had that kind of two-thirds, kind of like 45-degree angle where everyone's mm-hmm. top down and just kind of a beat-em-up that went through with a four-player co-op action. Yeah. Look at uh, all the Lego games, but just get rid of the Lego, and that's kind of what you're playing. Exactly, yeah. And then we also had uh, some more movies that came out in 2004. We had Catwoman. Was that Halle Berry, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we had Hellboy, which is, I love that movie so much, along with The Punisher and Spider-Man 2. So, we're, yeah, we're definitely starting to see these comic books be brought to the big screen even more and more each year. Mm -hmm. And to kind of wrap it off, I ended us at 05. And so this is when Marvel and Paramount uh, begin that talk that they'll uh, distribute up to 10 films over an eight-year period to be produced by Marvel. I wonder what... uh, Wonder what that was building towards. <laughs> yeah, and we also had Batman Begins and Fantastic Four and Sin City, which Batman Begins is one of my favorite comic book movies of all time, hands down, right up there with The Dark Knight. Yeah, and, and Batman Begins, for me, unofficially, was kind of the jump to the new box office superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nolan took it a completely different direction, and it, and it changed the landscape. And I, I think mm-hmm. it did definitely pave the way for the MCU to be created, to be a little grittier yeah. than most other superhero movies had been because, for like with most people who are investing in this with stockholders and things like that, mm-hmm. they want it to be as family-friendly as possible to get the biggest audience. Mm-hmm. But you don't realize it's not just families going, it's kind of everybody going to see it. Mm-hmm. So you have to find that happy medium. And I think they yeah. really pushed that with Batman Begins. Yeah, and it worked It worked out as such. So let's talk about Bungie's other comics. Before we get to the graphic novel, this actually wasn't the first time that Bungie would see one of their projects come to the comic book medium. Nope. Yeah, so we have uh, we started out with Myth. It was released, what, September 1998? Yeah, so from what I could tell from the limited kind of resources I could pull from anywhere for this for backlogging, yeah. Bungie self-published it with a possible publisher called Ram. Just on the back of the, the issue is R-A-M and kind of like an anarchist font. That's what I could figure out from it. But basically what it is is it's four different stories from the Myth I guess, catalog of different characters and different scenarios. Mm -hmm. So you have Fangrinder, which was by Juan Ramirez, Ground Zero by Mark Bernal, Antero's Bestiary, which is by Robert McLees, who we'll talk about in a little bit, Mm -hmm. and then Inside the Tain, which is one of my favorite names, (laughs) (laughs) Inside the Tain by Frank Pusteri. (laughs) And so it was printed in black and white, 
and there was only one issue made, and it was just made to go along with the release of the game. And it was just, as we learn through here, through more of when we talk about this comic, Bungie still always had a really big push to kind of throw Easter eggs out there, Mm -hmm. push into other medias, whether it be through websites, comics, whatever the release they can to kind of have a pairing media with it. Yeah, they were were not one-dimensional when it came to their stories, which is something we we love about Bungie and 343. Mm -hmm. And so for Myth, to give you, let's dim those lights real quick, (laughs) to give you a synopsis of your first story, as the wicked fallen lords spread their malignant shadows. Their terror servants pushed relentlessly westward, halted only by the fighting spirit of valiant men. Even the most courageous defenders might find their boldness lacking when confronted by such a hideous enemy. And of all the fiends, foul and profane, who served the dark, none were more feared and hated than Fangrinder. (laughs) I went very uh, Scottish at the end of that. Yeah, you got, I'm pretty glad you, I did. <laughs> your, your accent descended yeah. there. Hey, man. when you got to fight some bad stuff, it's what happens. It's so crazy to think of the transformation. This is kind of the things that they were doing before Halo, a very straightforward, realistic military sci-fi shooter. Yeah, because this was the times of like lords and ladies type stuff. Because mm-hmm. right around this time, you're having Lord of the Rings be produced. Yeah. You're having so many other pieces of media starting to come out that did this fantasy thing and really pulled from Tolkien. Yeah. So then we have uh, we have Oni, which was released February 2001. Mm-hmm. Not the same Oni you're thinking of. No, no, no. But it's it was actually another Bungie game, Bungie West. It was actually their first title that they produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's... We, we'll we talk about this, you know, throughout the rest of this podcast. Bungie does like to make references to Myth and Oni. Mm-hmm. They they really like to go back and be like, hey, look at this other thing we did. Yeah, so it's, it's really exciting. So for this, the same type of deal they did with Myth, they did five different issues of it. So I think it was zero, one, one variant, two, three, that they did to go along with the game. The game came out in late January 2001. And in February 2001, you had the first Oni comic drop. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was all printed in full color and colored, which was fantastic. It was published by Dark Horse and Rockstar Games, since Rockstar was the one helping Bungie publish it. I did not know that, actually. They they helped publish the game. And so, lights dim once more. Dimmed. Syndicate crimes are on the rise. And that doesn't bode well for the agents of World Co.'s Tech Crimes Task Force. But now there are rumors of mysterious beings... The syndicate calls them ghosts, interfering with syndicate activity. And these disturbances might just be the big breaks Special Agent Kanoko needs to break the syndicate's reign of terrorism. A dedicated agent and a deadly force to be reckoned with, Kanoko soon discovers that infiltrating the syndicate is the least of her worries, especially once she realizes the true nature of the strange beings who are making the syndicate's work a living hell. I'm getting a very anime rainy neon lights night kind of vibe from this am i correct you just described the entire game fuck yeah uh so it was a game we'll talk on different episodes about this but it's, it was a game for ps2 it was kind of a rogue shooter hand-to-hand and she was kind of this cool badass western anime look to her mm-hmm. so yeah so so this was their their dive into comics this is their kind of push towards it and they worked with various artists some were in-house bungee employees we kind of mm-hmm. referenced a little earlier and then other ones were just ones that they really wanted to work on these things. Yeah, and that's it's really cool because I, I I vaguely knew about Oni. I didn't know that it was actually coming out around the same time that Combat Evolved did. Mm-hmm. So 
I definitely think, you know, we we do plan on touching on these episodes, so definitely getting our hands on that and playing that along with uh, Myth to see, you know, what the hype was about. So let's move on to the graphic novel and kind of writing it. When Halo Combat Evolved was released in 2001, the video game world was changed forever. So thus, Microsoft wanted to capitalize on this however they could. There was even a team dedicated to expand the Halo name into other avenues and mediums. Naturally, this led to the idea of being thrown around to create a comic, though Bungie was scared that the story would be subpar compared to the story that they were telling within the franchise already. Luckily, there was for the one time ever no rush to actually put out a comic and that was kind of the benefit that we'll talk about with the graphic novel in january of 2004 a submission from eric troutman head of microsoft's franchise development writer john nay Robert, and artist Addy grenove was reviewed by a franchise development group lorraine mcleese was kind of thrilled to see halo in a comic book medium though she wasn't thrilled on what they actually had submitted she didn't like it and so she started insisting like hey we should work with these people like we're going to change the story because uh, we want we want to show Chief as a person and not just like a robot. Unfortunately, the idea of pursuing a comic in the immediate future never left this meeting. This was because the Xbox division was too new from Microsoft. So really, we didn't have that cliche rock and roll Mountain Dew vibe yet honestly and so it was just it was very corporate it was very cut and dry so they didn't want to branch off to anything they didn't know yet yeah and when you're when you're talking with artists like this they aren't used to a corporate structure because you're kind of like we just want to do this it's cool Mm -hmm. like we want to put this together but when you have especially accounting it's like yeah I don't think afford that for this type of thing I don't know what you're presenting Mm -hmm. and it's pretty cool because McLees talks about a little bit that she's been, you know, reading comics since she was a kid. Yeah. So she's no stranger to kind of what it takes to put this out mm-hmm. and what it goes. And really, I mean, you can thank her for everything you're about to kind of hear from us and everything uh-huh. that you've read in it if you've been able to read the, the graphic novel yet. Yeah. And so she she didn't want this to die. So she's just like, listen, let's just do this ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, hey, she she went to Bungie and she's like, I want to do this. I want to put together a Halo comic. What do you guys want from this? And all they said is, we want to see something cool. That's it. They were okay with this idea as long as it was cool. So uh, she she wanted she wanted this to be driven by art itself. She wanted this to be an art project, and mm-hmm. that's why this is so driven by the art and why we have so much extra art in it. Uh, so she started looking for someone who could help her create a comic that was, quote, not for profit, but for vanity. And so... With a stroke of luck, she consulted her husband, uh, Robert McLees, about this, and he had a colleague, Maria Cabardo, who her husband, Robert, had worked with for nearly a decade. And let's talk about her husband for just two seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert McLees is a concept artist turned writer at Bungie. He was the guy who designed The Flood, as well as wrote the short Palace Hotel for Halo Evolutions. So definitely two people have been working within Bungie for years yeah and and like we talked a little earlier i mean he wrote and pretty much helped sketch out one of the stories in myth 
Mm-hmm. So he's been kind of around this for a long time. Yeah, so he knew they all knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So in March of 2004, McLees and Maria talked on the phone about this project. Initially, Maria suggested that they could do it in four months so they could have it ready for San Diego Comic-Con, but it would have to be Rush. McLees actually objected to this, not wanting to rush anything about the project. Eventually, Maria gathered a list of artists and writers for the project, and they were given a budget and a time frame, which I think is, again, we talk about this, a rare instance where she's kind of given... She's kind of given this thing like, hey, we, there's no rush. And even the person she consulted was like, hey, we can afford, like, yeah, let's rush this. And she's like, no, let's pump the brakes on this. Let's let's tell the best story possible. We really don't have a time. Like, we don't have an end date right now. Yeah. And from when I looked up uh, a lot of stuff with uh, Cabardo, I mean, she's worked on Magic the Gathering and plenty of card games and other stuff. So she knows you have to get it in, have to get it submitted, printed and for sale. So for someone to be like, uh, no, we're just kind of doing this. Yeah, just kind of like chilled back. Chill, man. Yeah, it's I, all chill. We just want it to be good. We don't want it to be rushed. So she's like, sweet. Yeah, and word had actually gotten out that they wanted to do uh, something just simply cool, mm-hmm. not create something to sell. And it landed them some, quote, A-list people. They eventually started working on the comic. And once it was almost done, they started looking for publishers. Marvel was actually the most enthusiastic to publish this. They even had a great release plan, and those who came to present it were Halo fans themselves. By all means, they could have just been like, yeah, we love Halo. We love the Master Chief. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I think it was kind of cool that Marvel, I mean, as big as Halo was, like Marvel didn't know how profitable this could have been, because at the end of the day, it's a money game. But the Mm -hmm. fact that they sent people who were enthusiastic about this and was like, yeah, we love this game. Let's do it. It, And it's pretty nuts. Even thinking nowadays, now that we're doing this podcast, how many people you and I know who are Halo fans that we had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, it's, it's later in the date with Halo. It's not right on the brink of 2, 3, and things like that. Yeah. But to see that Halo kind of touched everyone's lives in every medium, mm-hmm. it's nuts. Yeah. And so after roughly two years of production, Marvel would go on to publish the first comic in the Halo franchise, the Halo graphic novel. And this is actually, I know we had touched on a few comics. This is roughly the fifth comic from Bungie. Mm-hmm. So now let's move on to the comic itself, these these four short stories. Uh, and we can start with The Last Voyage of the Infinite Secure. So this story was written by Lee Hammock, and the art was by Simon Bisley. Lee Hammock is a professional writer and game designer. He is best known for his work on Halo graphic novel, Neo Exodus, and The Dawning Star. Simon Bisley is a British comic book artist best known for his work on ABC Warriors, Lobo, and Slain. He's also lent his talents to Gears of War comic book, Judge Dredd comic book, and the Call of Duty zombie comic book. I didn't even know that there was a zombies comic book. Apparently, I think it's one of those like almost cereal box comics from what I could tell. Yeah. Is that he, I think it's, I think he's only, it's only on the second or third issue now. Oh, so um, it's very recent? It's very recent. Uh, okay, or it's okay. very old. I, from what I could find from it, I just know uh, that he okay. did most of the art Might for it. I have to go to Star Clipper and try to find that because I'm actually kind of curious about that. Yeah, just to see because, whole side note, now that they're doing actual random stories for zombies and like putting Mm -hmm. celebrities in you can kind of take it wherever yeah they they kind of just foot on the gas going wherever they want so to begin for the last voyage of the infinite secor secor so we're gonna that's what we're going with we'll stay there so to give you guys a little synopsis of it 
A distant call brings the elite Spec Ops commander to a Covenant supply craft hanging crippled in the outer reaches of the threshold system. As he boards the seemingly abandoned agricultural ship, it becomes clear that the enemy here is not some enterprising human force, but something far more terrifying. Yeah, this is kind of where kind of learn about Artes Vadum, mm-hmm. Halfjaw from Halo 2. So let's go into the story itself. And I like that this mission actually starts at the very beginning of 343 Guilty Spark in Halo CE. You see Chief get dropped up. He's going to go dropped off. He's going to go look for keys and the rest of those men. He's briefly attacked by a spirit dropship, the Brilliant Gift, before the ship makes its way to the Infinite Secure, which I got to say, this is the only time we see Matt Master Chief in this whole graphic novel, which I think a lot of people didn't expect. No, and they bring that up too. They were kind of worried. Yeah. Because at this point, you've had Halo 1, Halo 2, so you're only seeing Master Chief if you haven't read the books. Yeah, and so they're just kind of like, eh, but you know, they did it anyways, and it worked out well. Uh, So then the brilliant gift crashes into the infinite secour, and something starts to attack the grunts. I think we all already kind of know what it is, but something is attacking the grunts. And before they die, they state that the enemies have human weapons, but they aren't human. Now we go to the Seeker of Truth, a flagship for the Fleet of Particular Justice. To go back a little bit, is this, I'm trying to remember all this in order, is this the first time we're seeing a flood-controlled ship? I believe, I think within the timeline. In the timeline of Guilty Spark? is this Because this is the first, I think we are. Yeah, I think so, yeah. If you wanted to break this down into, like, this story in there, yeah. Because this is, it shows, actually, throughout this comic, we'll talk about it, the flood, or, yeah, the flood, like, using prior knowledge of their victims Mm -hmm. to control things. Yeah, and so after that... We go back to the the uh, the seeker of truth, and we see two elites dueling, uh, Artas and Kusave. And Kusave actually lands a sword in Artas, but it ends with the fight with Artas on top of him, ready to kill him. And there's there's other elites kind of observing, and Artas asks them like, "What did he do wrong?" And something's like, "Nothing. He stabbed you." And Artas was like. Yeah, but if I would have pushed through, I would have killed him too. Kind of saying, like, we would have both died, and at the end of the day, he would have lost. Like, one of those things, like, yeah, I would have lost, but he would have lost too. Uh, And that goes to the elite's honor code of, like, if the enemy's not dead... You have failed. Yeah. Even if you die killing the enemy, you have achieved what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and so that's kind of cool. And then I even like that the uh, Kusave was kind of like, oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just like a training exercise, and he kind of like kind of got him all too good. And we actually have the, the comic pulled up right now, so you see him pulling it right out of his just gut. Yanking out. like Basically like a, like a side wound. Yeah, kind of a flesh wound. Yeah. And so they're then called up to the uh, Supreme Commander, which is Thel before he became the Arbiter. And so Artes learns of his next mission, which is securing the Infinite Secure. It's kind of come under some kind of attack. And so he's given override commands, but is informed that they won't work on any commands from the Minister of Etiology. Basically, kind of the Minister of Disease, which, I mean, I kind of like that they did that little detail because we're dealing with... We don't know it yet, but we're dealing with the Flood. And so, you know, none of these override commands will work if he... If he says so. So Artas and his team board a ship and they see the destruction of the infinite secor. And they start to they're they're instantly like, oh, this this was probably humans, but they're kind of confused because they're like, this is brutal. And to go back just slightly, one key detail that they do bring up is 
that when he's given the codes, he then supplies them to everyone on the ship. Because yeah. the codes are override codes for doors, for airlocks, for anything that the ship can control so that they would be able to maneuver their way around. Even like self-destruct, like anything that you need. So yeah, every every elite grunt have these controls. And so yeah, they they start, they're like, ah, uh, this, this kind of looks like the humans did it, but at the same time, it's way more brutal than what they're known for doing. And so I didn't know this. Apparently the ship has like a wildlife sector because they make their way to this wildlife sector and they're like, it's it's kind of a hunting area mm-hmm. that they said. And they're, yeah, it's basically like, let's say we took cows, chickens, pigs, whatever animals and had like an interior farm, almost like you'd have yeah. a, a garden on a space station. You now have what's, what's a hunting ground. So I guess mm-hmm. it would probably be, I'd assume from what we kind of see is, Research, but also food if necessary. Uh huh. Yeah, and so they're instantly just like, there are no signs of wildlife. Mm-hmm. Like this, this should be teeming with wildlife, and they're all starting to become more and more suspicious. And they're starting to look at their scanners, and they're like, there's some kind of parasite, but it's unknown. Mm-hmm. And then this is the first time we see this this flood infected parasite which they don't fire initially because they're like what the hell are we looking at but then they start to actually attack and thus they're they start battling this this diseased animal and these animals we'll talk about the art at the end but it's like hard to make out if this is how the animals are supposed to look or if this is a flood infected version of it yeah because i mean this is really where you start to see simon bisley's art especially from lobo shine because mm-hmm. you can tell from that head, it's almost a super Lobo-esque head and eyes type yeah. feel to it. So you're starting to get this, and this is basically a claw-like monster. It's got basically like one pointed arm with teeth on all of its sides that is kind of yanking yeah. some pink cow animals with. Poor cow animal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they start to attack them, and after like a quick skirmish, Artas is like, use your energy blades, good call. We all know that's the best thing to use against the flood, mm-hmm. their Artas. But yeah, and so he says, he also tells the grunts, stay back, provide cover. I like little details like that. Like he's like, elites in the front, grunts in the back, give us cover fire. Like cool stuff like that. And so eventually they do make their way back into a structure. And we uh, part of that is I like that. Remember in the one of the older CE demo videos, the elites had shields. We mm-hmm. actually see Artas use a shield. And I think that is such a cool little thing that came out with this is like seeing like, oh, the elites do actually kind of use shields. We just don't see that within the gameplay itself. Yeah. And it's really interesting because you do see and we'll talk about this, like Jesse said, with the art section a lot of liberties in this though so the shield being you know is that one thing that Bungie hoped to write in or is that one thing that's been interpreted as a possibility of them having for the you know being this far it's interesting because there's also a panel here they're looking at where these flood infected forms which are nothing like you've seen are like they look like apes almost apes like they're like quad equipped with guns it's 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 an interesting art choice yeah it's definitely uh it's yeah and we'll, we'll we'll talk about this more about the end kind of the interpretation of it but yeah so they make their way back into this structure and so Artas and all of them learn that their their comms won't go out mm-hmm. and so they're starting to 
they're also like, okay, we need to destroy this ship, but this isn't working. And so that's when they realize, oh, the Minister of Etiology appears on a hologram and he refuses to activate the self-destruction sequence, which I was talking to Alex about this right before we started this episode, is this is the first time we see this minister. And when I was reading this, I was like, oh my God, like we know, we all know that the prophets are bad, but, or, you know, all, all of them within that race, but seeing like how this this artist drew this minister definitely gives him a villain vibe like instantly and i i loved it cuz he appears on a hologram mm-hmm. and it's really cool to see just like you know it's it's a a shot looking up and he's kind of like darkened shadows over his face i think it's just a really cool way to represent uh the sangshayum which are the the name of the the race for the prophets yeah i love this one aesthetic i really do enjoy because they are using a bottom lighting uh-huh. And bottom light is typically everything you'll have with villainy because it gives sullen cheeks, kind of like brings the eyes in, kind of gives those baggy shadows over mm-hmm. it, and gives kind of a very menacing look. And for the hologram to be larger than life almost, mm-hmm. to kind of be towering over, is a really cool aesthetic. And, you know, we'll, it's neat because it doesn't really affect him. Like, that's what I really like is that, like, yeah. I assume that would affect the rest of the crew that's on, like, especially the grunts. And things like that, like seeing that and like obeying any order that's ever given from those things yeah, uh, is really interesting. Yeah. And he says, you know, listen, we, we need to get we need to self-destruct this ship. And the minister is like, no, like, first of all, I don't know if you're infected by the flood. And he's like, clearly we aren't. And he's like, nope. make your way down to the medical bay mm-hmm. so I can inspect you first hand and so they they are and this is kind of you get into these wash wash rinse repeat sequences they get attacked by more flood and now we're actually starting to see some infected elites that had fallen earlier Mm -hmm. and we're also learning that oh no now the flood have the override codes yeah because they're because i or he makes a comment like why didn't you lock the doors behind you and he's like i did so i, I did i made sure because because they're like close every door behind us as we make our way to the bridge uh-huh. and he's like i definitely closed all those doors and they're like well uh we they are now infected so they do eventually make their way to the medical bay and then they meet up with the minister and he confirms like, OK, you guys aren't you guys aren't infected. And then they have to go downstairs again to to enter this room that the minister is kind of held up in. Mm-hmm. And so he and this is this is kind of cool. The minister informs our task because our task is like, I, I have no idea what what this is and he's like oh this is the flood like we learned that the covenant kind of actually like knew about this this was written within the forerunner texts Mm -hmm. that they've gotten over the years which i thought was like a cool detail that it's like oh this is the flood we've kind of really known about them but this is the first time we've seen them and it then leads to uh he's like uh and right now they're trying to create their grave mind which again it's like i you didn't realize that the covenant at least the higher-ups knew so much about the flood before they did and so then we start seeing this minister kind of become a villain and he's instantly like how are you going to get me off of this ship and so artas wants to split up into groups and so the minister's like no 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 no, bad idea bad idea like that's not going to be safe for me like less people to protect me yeah because because i think for him this was like his wet dream of like disease is yeah. being able to see flood up close. But he's like, ooh, this isn't a controlled environment. They're actually yeah. overtaking the ship. Uh, you need to get... See, I'm important. Yeah, get me the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Which Artes finally gets fed up with him, picks him up and just slams him on the ground. Yeah. And it's like, 
nope, you're going to slow us down anyways. And then they make their way, make their way out of there. As they fight through more waves of flood, Kusafa starts to become infected, or Kusave starts to become infected. And it sucks that he's he's sitting there and he's just like, I, I don't want to become one of them. And Artas kills him saying like, you know, this is an honorable death. Yeah, he splits him end from end. Yeah, it, which it just like, again, it's like, ah, man, like the Halo franchise is really good about making you start to care about a character and then killing them off. Mm-hmm. And so and, and and we're going through the panels right now. And I love seeing that flood infected human right there this artwork was pretty cool and how they represented that but so then after he 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 quote lets him die with honor the minister appears on a screen in front of artas and now he's infected with the flood and they're having him talk to artas and saying like you're all going to get infected you're all going to die and then at that point uh kusave appears behind him now infected because clearly splitting his actual face did not work Mm -hmm. and they have one final duel and this kind of mirrors that first fight from the beginning and so we see artas lose his two mandibles but he does this to get the killing blow on Kusave, and this sparks that nickname, Halfjaw. And so once he kills him, we see him leaving the ship. And I know that it's it's kind of did it's kind of a for interpretation. Did he was he able to self-destruct the ship? Because I know that the minister, whenever he was infected, was like, We're gonna go into slip space and find somewhere else. I think from what I could tell, it seems like they made it out from what I'm just because because Artas is pretty messed up right now at the very end and he's leaving. And so he's he, he says right there, mm-hmm. if it takes my death, so be it, you will not defeat the covenant. And then it says surface jump in two minutes, prepare for slip space operation. Oh, he's sending it into the sun. That oh, was their okay. original plan. Okay. So so whenever they were actually going to save the minister of uh, etiology, they were going to, since they couldn't uh, activate the actual self-destruct of it, mm-hmm. uh, since the, I think it got locked out whenever they left and the flood went in, oh, they okay, locked okay, that okay, out. Okay, okay. So they were going to do a slip jump because they were already setting up the slip space engines to just, just jump into a sun. Yeah. So I believe that's what he's done here. And we just see him flying away from the ship itself. Yeah. So he, he gets on a phantom and makes his way off. And I, I love the shot of him just looking bloody and beat to hell. But just that badass shot right there. Uh, it, it it was a pretty cool story. I liked it. It gave us some context to whenever Artas says uh, on that mission on Halo 2, like he smells the flood. He's like, I'm familiar with that scent mm-hmm. and why he is half jaw and why he can talk to the Arbiter like they've known each other yeah. because he was at the very beginning commanding Artas. So like the roles kind of reverse. Yeah, because especially whenever the Arbiter basically loses all of his credentials and everything that he has for being basically a betrayer, that's when he's that's when you can actually see him talking down to him, but being still familiar. Uh huh. So the one thing that I really enjoy with the foreword they gave, so each of these stories has a little foreword that kind of gives a reason why this is included, mm-hmm. was they touch on that we don't want the Flood just to be space zombies. Mm-hmm. Like, they actually wanted to show, and I think they really did showcase this really well, the idea of inhabiting a host and learning about the host mm-hmm. and being able to work towards a goal that's not just eat brains. You know, yeah. inhabit bodies, eat brains. Have it's like, a plan in mind. Yeah, and to be like, okay, we're going to jump this ship into slip space. We can find another system full of teeming life that we can continue yeah. to infect and learn. Yeah, it, it really cool to see stuff like that. They want to expand on minor 
characters and events within the Halo universe. So now after, you know, we'll do this for the other three stories as well. Let's talk about our initial reaction to the story and what we thought of the art itself. Mm-hmm. So as I said before, I, I really liked this story. I thought it was really cool. Definitely built up Artas. If you didn't like him already for Halo 2 to be a complete and utter badass and just the way that he's willing to sacrifice half his jaw in order to just take out this elite that he respected because they said Kusave was the best swordsman. He was Mm -hmm. the best elite with a sword. So the fact that he was able to take him out was a a crazy feat. What did did you think about that? I thought about, you know, the the same thing for me. I'm not, I'm okay with, I think my favorite thing of this, I'll just say I'm okay with the Covenant story, but I really enjoy that the first story they include is not about the chief or the humans. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of a subtle nod to Halo 2 having the Arbiter yeah. be, able to, be able to control him. Yeah. Was this is a whole story from the Covenant side. Yeah. On on Chief is now exploring to let the flood out where he is for 343 Guilty Spark. Mm-hmm. But it's also to see that they're already way more you know advanced and already infecting what they can before the chief even opens that door back yeah like what was going on with the flood when chief was investigating this Mm -hmm. so what what did we think of the art itself i know we had discussed this before we had actually hopped on the record okay so for me i'm not a huge fan of the style of lobo judge dread things like that that are very chaotic and and that that very '90s comic feel yeah, to me. Yeah, this this uh, that's what I was saying. Like the '90s kind of carried over into this. Yeah, I, I there's a lot there's a lot going on, and I know with Bisley, like he does take a lot of liberty when he does these type of things. Mm-hmm. I think it was a little too much for me. The the flood definitely were his definitely his own interpretation for the most part. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of things that you see. Where you, it's almost like unrecognizable that if I didn't see an elite, I wouldn't have associated this with Halo. I think the art itself is good. I know, like when it when you first see the chief outside in the swamp, I think that's a really beautiful scene. I know we had talked about that. It like there wasn't enough contrast between the characters in the background. There are some panels where it's like it's kind of a little confusing to see what's going on. But these- which is which is good and bad though. Because you have to figure they're going through this Covenant ship with grenades going off, blasters going off, True, yes. stuff getting risen. So, I mean, I think he does portray the hecticness of it really well. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the chief shots are beautiful. Yeah, this like this this one of chief pointing his gun in the air, that could be a poster on its own. That yeah. is a beautiful shot, which, you know, we recommend you get this this comic if you can. It's It's got a lot of really cool shots, stories, and art in it. Yeah, and, and it, it has, for me, I mean, it has rereadability. Yeah, absolutely. I've read pick this two up. or three times. Yeah, pick it up, check out the art. For me, not the first one. Like I said, this is probably my least favorite of the four. Okay. And like I said, the art really played a big portion in that because I was very, very confused at portions. There were a few times. Yeah, there there are definitely, you'll have to sit and stare at a panel forewarning just to say like, hey, don't expect just a quick read through of this. All right, and now on to our second story, which is Armor Testing, which was written and illustrated by Ed Lee, Jay Fairber, and Andrew Robinson. Jay Fairber is an American comic book and television writer, best known for Generation X, New Warriors, The Titans, and Connor Spotlight. He was excited to write this because he saw the combination of two great mediums, comics and video games. He, he was actually, he was one of the few people saying, like, video games aren't affecting comic books. He he was out there saying, like, no, 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 it's not video games. It's its own separate thing. Yeah, because that's, everyone in the late 90s kind of blaming 
television's ruining it, you know, by mm-hmm. doing movies. Video games are ruining it by you don't have to think anymore about the story. Like, yeah, you, you just don't have to read it. it. Yeah. yeah, it's just there for you to be. You get to experience it. Yeah. So I think for you know him to come out and say that like no they they complement each other. Yeah, I think that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Andrew Robinson, who is an American comic book artist and writer, and was nominated for Best Painter Multimedia Artist for the Fifth Beetle, which was put out by Dark Horse in 2014. And then we have Ed Lee. He's a comic book artist and animator who also teaches animation at Dongseo University in Busan, South Korea. So Bungie, so this is a little bit of forward for So Bungie wanted to dive into the process of how Master Chief's new armor was tested and how he even received it. And they wanted to give the reader a back-end look at how things are done in the UNSC. And one thing was they specifically chose Songnam, Gyeonggi province of Korea, as it instead of picking like New York, Shanghai, because they kind of wanted to show how global it was. Yeah, that it wasn't just you know an American offensive. That it was mm-hmm. kind of every nation was. Yeah, it was, it was the world, and that's why you even see some. I'm assuming Asian characters in here. Mm-hmm. So the synopsis is a Spartan's life is a dangerous one and a Spartan's armor is the last line of human's defense. Testing it then becomes an equally dangerous proposition. But for whom? The test subject or the testers? Mm. So I to start off, this is one of my favorites. and I'm really excited because I love the art style. I think the story is really cool. And mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of you guys kind of agreed with this and wanted us to kind of tell a little bit more on this story. So mm-hmm. we, I have a little bit of tidbits for you at the end. Um, but to start, we see a Spartan who is Spartan 062, which is Maria, wearing the new Mark VI armor in an SO Pelican hovering in a low Earth orbit. And below that panel is a room of kind of higher-ups. You have one that is kind of in a commander garb, the same thing we see with like keys yeah. and uh, everything else that's talking about that this dropship is in and kind of telling, you know, they have a, a statistician basically there giving you kind of updates mm-hmm. uh, on the drop. And we see on the next panel, Mark, and the Spartan jumps out. And this is where we get a full look at that armor. We see a sniper rifle strapped to the chest and this really cool design that I love that they put this kind of bulk plate on the back. Yeah, that's kind of like bracing, right, for coming into atmosphere. Yeah, so it's, it's basically pushing that heat off and, uh-huh. and bracing as you would on any spaceship. And there's a yeah. kick-ass panel in the next one, which a lot of people will see when you look this up, is Maria coming in back first with that panel taking the brunt of mm-hmm. the gravitation dropping in on her in the uh, atmosphere yeah. pushing back. Kind of foreshadowing for Halo 3, mm-hmm. how that starts. Exactly. So as we have it coming in, uh, we see panels that are going over all of her vitals, like her vitals are fine, she's doing mm-hmm. good, and she whips around, pulls that sniper rifle out, and then fires off a quick burst of rounds that you see hit what appear to be a group of Covenant elites in a grunt. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, wow, she just dropping on enemy territory. Um, and she does a hard landing, and it turns around, and you see that she's actually fighting a bunch of ODSTs. Yeah, those were just props, Yeah, basically. it was just props. And so she's in this training regimen, and it's kind of similar to whenever we read in The Fall of Reach, mm-hmm. kind of how John's training. Yeah, with, the, with his new Mjolnir armor. Exactly. Kind of that exact same feel to it. Yeah, except for these are these are like paint like stun rounds. Yeah, it's paintballs. I mean, they're, they're basically on this paintball round, and so I love that she starts off by just picking one of them up and using them as a meat shield. And she's like, "Sorry, <laughs> I love meat shield. I yeah. love that." <laughs> she is. She picks him up. She, uh, he takes all the brunt of uh, you know all the rounds from the soldiers. She, she just like 
Sorry. Yeah, she, 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 it's like, well, you're instantly kind of confused as a Spartan and ODST, and the Spartan is apologizing to the, to the ODST. Yeah, and then you the next panel, but you're dead. And then she just <laughs> takes him, throws him, and then tumbles out uh, behind some cover. Yeah. And then <laughs> another great panel. And I love this story because it takes itself seriously, but it's also super fun. Yeah. Because she takes a frag grenade and tosses it in and just clocks one of them in the head, and you just have donk. Appear on it. <laughs> I love that. And then you have the same dude who is just the meat shield on the ground who's like, oh, crap. And the grenade blows up and paint splatters all over him, mm-hmm. dying once again. And then we continue on the panels and we see those same analysis agents, workers, whatever you want to call them. I don't know the official term. Yeah, the analysts up there, they're basically tracking this and, you know, saying contacts echo one through five are down and two and five actually need medical attention. So this is another kind of callback to the Spartans. Even mm-hmm. though they can hold back, they still can't really hold back because it's, it's it's hard. It's a super soldier plus Mjolnir armor against mm-hmm. these somewhat armored ODST. So yeah. it's, it's going back to that. And what I love is that you continue on this panel and you see that there's one ODST who's making it out and he's calling over the comms that, you know, Bulgoki Gambit is a go. And so they're going into what is, you know, this makeshift town, this little paintball town. Yeah. And you have Maria jump through, like, this this open window. that uh, there was Several a, stories up, too. Several stories up that had what looks like a sniper or a rifle pointing mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Jumps in, kicks the ODST, and does this. And I love panels like this. Basically, it's just a really tight close-up of her boot slamming yeah. with dust and debris flying out the sides of it. So it just gives you that kind of weightiness of the armor like we saw in the Infinite yeah. trailer. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of brings that back. So she's she's in there. We see an ODST with a little remote detonator behind, and the whole room engulfs in flames. So yeah. she runs out of the room into a hallway of six seven of them i think they say it's like 20 at the end of it yeah. it's like 20 odst tackle this spartan yeah so tackler and then are on top so then now we are back to the special warfare center in songnam kyongi province i'm butchering all this korean but that's where we are we're back yeah. we're back at the base sorry to our potential korean listeners yeah it's a shame we're losing all of you <laughs> uh but this is cool too i love this it brings back mm-hmm. that, that comedy aspect of it and I don't want to say the lightheartedness of war, but that camaraderie of it. Yeah. Because the first thing is dinner's on you, Goldilocks. And also to 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 give you this point, we haven't seen who's in the armor yet. Yeah, we just know it's a Spartan. It's a Spartan. I, I've I've spoiled this surprise for you all. Yeah, but I know. <laughs> but it, it's a Spartan, and obviously it's been wearing John's armor. So mm-hmm. your assumption could be it's John. Yeah. Or, or someone who was 062. You know, we don't know who that Spartan is or if it's another Spartan that was around his time that's wearing the yeah. same thing. So you see that, oh, dinner's on you, Goldilocks, and then a removal of helmet, and you see that it is Maria. Yep, uh, fe- a female Spartan. Mm-hmm. And not only this, what I love is they've kept with it. She is super tall. Yep, I, I that attention to detail. She's seven foot. Mm-hmm. Everyone's looking up at her. Even like you can tell those ODST are supposed to be six something. They're all looking up. Yeah, and they're all like just big cut dudes, and they're all all looking right up at her. Uh-huh. And so as the commander comes over, and he's like, "Ah, well, you know, they uh, they outnumbered you twenty to one, and, and mm-hmm. you know, you did what you could." And, and she's even just playing off like, "I just got, I only made it that far because I got lucky." Yeah. You know, like a very modest, and I and I liked that it was still just seeing kind of that playfulness between the 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 group of ODST and the Spartan, as compared to John was like 
let's try to kill this guy. And the rest of this, like, and this one's just kind of like, oh, sorry, but you're dead. I'm going to shoot you with a paintball gun, you know? So it's kind of such a contrast. It is. And you, in this dialogue, I love too, because she says, well, sir, they're good men. I probably just got lucky. And so that's the callback we made. That also goes back to John's getting this armor. Who mm-hmm. is the luckiest Spartan? Yeah, it's it's been said many times. Not the smartest, not the strongest, the luckiest. Yeah, and so and then this is where we first kind of hear of the reserves mm-hmm. for Spartans, and it said, you know, are they treating you okay in the reserves? You know, it keeps me sharp, and we see her face. Yeah, and this is where we we see her face. Just, sir, are you asking me to re-enlist? And we now learned that she's retired. Yep. And, and it's kind of unheard of because we know of all these other Spartans and you're like, why the hell is she retired? Yeah. And and I love the callback because he's he's put like he obviously brought her out here and was like, hey, you want to try out this uh, Spartan, you know, Milner six that you're working with? You want to and you want to jump in this armor? And she puts a quote right here that says, well, the suit it was. I've never felt more comfortable in my life. It was like a natural extension of my body, a second skin, you might say. And as for being in the field, well. You know that feels good, sir. So she's not that she retired because she was injured or hated what she was doing. Mm-hmm. She retired because she wanted to start a family. She didn't want to do this, which I think is, is very smart. And then, you know, we kind of move on then to he says, OK, this is going to MCPO John 117 in her reaction. Yeah. Which she's it's like MCO John 117, John from Reach John. It's like even among the Spartans, John is a legend. Among mm-hmm. the legends, this is the legend of the legend. So I like they're also playing off of the fact of who he really is. I thought that was awesome. So and then it ends with, you know, basically she says, once he gets us armor, we're going to sleep a lot better at night. Yeah, I, I love that ending because it's such a badass thing. And I mean, this is where we first get to see, you know, Maria. I mean, and, yeah. and you guys had brought up a lot about this and the lore because. Yeah, in our Discord. Yeah, in our Discord. And and we'll, I know we keep saying we'll talk about this, but since we're going in kind of chronological order of the media, mm-hmm. we're going off what we have now, because I know there are kind of mentions of her family and a couple tidbits as we go on. Yeah, but there's not that much, even in the future. There's only mentions and speculation. Yeah. And so I'll give you a little background on the character and then a couple things that I thought Halo Cannon had brought up, who's mm-hmm. a fantastic YouTube channel who does plenty of these kind of deep lore dives. Mm-hmm. But to start, uh, we have Maria, who is Spartan 062. From what people can guesstimate and kind of figure out with her, that she was born in 2511. Mm-hmm. She's in the UNSC Naval Reserve. Her rank is Petty Officer Second Class or possibly higher, depending on how these kind of missions are put together for it. Yeah. Uh, so she was in the first class. And that's speculation on that last line, like MCPO John 117, John from Reach John. It's either speculated that he's more of a legend at this point or Mm -hmm. being the age that he is, that she was in the same class as him. Yeah, because she looks at this point, John's 40. She Mm -hmm. doesn't look 40. That or she's and I'm going off of a comic book character. She's a hot 40 year old. Yeah. So but she's labeled to be in class one in 2525. Mm -hmm. Um, And so prior to the Battle of Earth in October 2552, as we saw, she's testing the Mark six armor and we know that she is doing this for John. Yeah. And so it's it's really cool that I love little lore things like this. Like yeah. it's it's a story you don't have to tell. No, it's 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 not necessary, but it makes you appreciate the armor itself. Mhm. 
And to see that, you know, it's not just John who's saving the world. Everyone has their bit mm-hmm. that goes into it. And the one bit of trivia, as I kind of brought up, this is the first Spartan yet that we've seen that's not wearing a helmet, that yep. actually has a full, fully constructed face. Yeah, the first time we see a, a, a Spartan's face. Yeah, it's, it's really it's, cool. That it's not a baby helmet under a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so with Halo Cannon, he brought up some really cool speculations around her mm-hmm. and about why she's allowed to retire. Because in the Halo 4 prologue and in another book, I can't remember. Moral Dictata. Thank you. They talk about that there is a retired Spartan. Mm -hmm. And so it was speculated to be her, but there's things about um, that you have to have your neural implants have to be acting up and you basically have to deactivate it. But we obviously see her piloting the armor. And and at one point, she sh- they she even shoots that sniper to make sure that the sniper works with her neural implant. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of not necessarily a red flag, but makes you wonder right there. Yeah. And so the one thing he brings up, which I really enjoy, was Oni. Mm-hmm. And Oni being you know the shifty organization that it is and trying to do... You know, everything that it can to control how the war is done, who's in the war, where money goes. Mm-hmm. So the speculation is that she was allowed to stay and retire on Earth because, one, Earth would always have a Spartan, whether retired or not. Because obviously, as you can see, she can jump back in the field at any time. Yeah, clearly. And to also see the effect of what age does to a Spartan. Because there's the famous line, Spartans don't age because yeah. they die before they get old. Like, they don't grow old. Mm-hmm. Um, or they don't, Yeah, they don't grow old. Sorry. And... So this may even just be an only experiment of how do Spartans age? Yeah. How do they fit into society? And can they actually have a family and run those type of things? Yeah, it's definitely... Halo Cannon does have a lot of cool theories, and this is up there, and this is a very thought-provoking one that's not out of the realm of possibility by any means. No, because also, what does a Spartan child look like? You know, at this point, would they inherit some yeah. of those this is augmentations? Th- three foot kid? Yeah. What are we looking at? Like, <laughs> yeah, she's just going to slide baby? out and it's just going to be running away right away. <laughs> Run away. You have to chase yeah. that kid down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so for let, let's talk about our reaction to the art and the story itself. I it definitely, this art is a little more uh, along the lines of what you would see within any kind of comic book you would pick up nowadays. I think I think it's all really well done. They capture a lot of personality within the faces, is mm-hmm. what what I really really like. Even seeing like some ODSTs kind of smiling, some kind of looking upset, like all these things. The expression on her face as well. I think this art style is really good. It illustrates this short story very very well. Yeah, for me, it's very reminiscent of the divine and also just harkening back to us it's the style that was in the early 2000s especially like walking dead mm-hmm. it, it, a lot of these face structures and just how some of these positionings are is very close yeah to that art it style. really is i and i it, i got that vibe just from the art alone mm-hmm. like i was like man so like so the, like that right there those odst faces look like they could have been pulled out of later on uh issues of the walking dead yeah like they really do so i think the art was fantastic it, it told the story very very well and then even the story itself as we had said we didn't need granted we didn't need any of these stories but this one was so cool it was because it it was lore building no one asked for, which I love because the other ones are definitely lore building stories of characters that are still in the game or part of lore within two. And and like our next one's going to be about Sergeant Johnson escaping that flood attack. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's kind of filling those gaps. This one was lighthearted, really cool to Mm -hmm. see a Spartan actually, like, smile and, you know, be jovial with stuff, whereas John is the weirdest kid in the class. Yeah, John is, like, the Dahmer of the class that, (laughs) like, killing is okay. Yeah, really. because we know that that's what they've had to do since kids. So Mm -hmm. having someone, and I think that is, is the retiring and have a family you become human again. Yeah. I think that's a really good synopsis of this. Well, I also like that uh, Bungie got the inspiration about this story from, like, Skunk Works. Mm-hmm. Like, they had just read a book all about, like, these secret CIA missions that were going on in experiments. And so they were like, we wanted something reminiscent of that because at the end of the day, it's like, we they, they said they didn't like the idea of, like, John just having this random armor given to him. They liked the idea of, like, well, what goes into something like testing this armor? So I thought it was really cool that they did something like that and weird that they got the inspiration from real things that went on in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, and it's, it's really cool, like you said, to harken back to kind of the 50s mm-hmm. style that they had with it. Yeah. You know what they didn't have in the 50s? What? They didn't have audiobooks. They didn't. You had to read paper. Ah, that's so lame. And it's a shame. And that's why today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight to get started today. Why Audible, you may ask? Well, Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And this is good for you guys because our next podcast coming up, spoiler alert, is going to be Ghost of Onyx. Great novel. Yeah, so you can read along with us before then, because usually Mm -hmm. we give it to you as the podcast comes out. Uh So this gives you guys a couple weeks to go ahead and get that Audible trial set up. Mm -hmm. It's free to do, and you get one free book. So go ahead and hop on Ghost of Onyx and uh, be prepared to uh, prove us wrong on everything we tell you. Exactly. (laughs) So thank you so much, guys. And to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash finish the fight. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash finish the fight for your free audiobook. Thank you, Audible, for sponsoring today's podcast. So now we have Breaking Quarantine, illustrated by Sutomu Nai. Sutomu Nai is known for his cyberpunk-influenced art style and has made manga fan favorites Blam, Knights of Sidonia, and Biomega. Nai was extremely excited to be part of this since he is such a fan of Halo Combat Evolved and 2. He's self-described as not the best player in Japan, but the most hardcore. He actually had planned on writing his own story for this, but Bungie kind of pushed back and said, hey, we have a story for you. We just want you to illustrate it. And this was the first time ever he would actually not have written his own story. He'd only illustrate for one, which I think is kind of crazy that he's like so well known that this is so out of touch for something he usually does. Yeah, because he was kind of through his little translation that they put in here that he was actually super nervous. Because I know working as a photographer, if someone's like, hey, can you retouch my image, but don't do it your own way? Like, I need to do these very specifics or mm-hmm. like something along those lines. It is nerve wracking to try and mimic someone's style or or go through those things. So for him to not be able to control everything, every aspect is pretty mm-hmm. crazy. He he started feeling more comfortable because as he was presenting them, these panels that they were doing, they were asking him to do, you know, like updates. Like, for instance, like one with Johnson firing a gun. They said those bullets that are coming out the back, like, do more because this is a more like sporadic gun. Mm-hmm. And he really liked that idea of the attention to detail. And he actually even said that was it America's 
says um, America is more of a gun friendly society, which I think uh, that that's a, it's a very yep. This was written in two thousand four. Oh, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. When I read that, I ch- I chuckled. Not to go super political, I just <laughs> I th- <laughs> thought that was pretty good. It's quite good. It's good enough to give you this synopsis of our story here. Uh, so you guys will probably all know the idea of Johnson getting away from the flood because obviously he's in two (laughs) and he's just like, ah, it's classified. Don't worry about it. But for this, so you have Sergeant Avery Johnson has a problem. Actually, he has thousands of problems and most of them are flood infection forms trapped in the bowels of an ancient alien artifact and surrounded on all sides by a virulent force of nature that needs his flesh. He has a choice, get out or die trying. Sounds like a diehard quote. Yeah. <laughs> and so th- this one's really interesting because there is no text. Yeah. Uh, this is all very visual, and I think it plays towards, you know, they wanted to make an art project. So we start out as you see Johnson holding one of the infector forms, and he's he's fighting everything off because this takes place whenever on Halo Combat Evolved, they first get attacked by the flood and discovered it. And I love this this art is so cool because you see just the anger on his face kind of, you know, and seeing like all the flood infectors in the background. And then as we move on, we start seeing and I think it's presumed that this is Jenkins getting attacked and infected by a flood flood form and he shoots it off, but he's dead. But you kind of see he's like already transforming. Mm-hmm. And I love this panel that it shows of Johnson's face like he really illustrates kind of the anguish and sadness he's looking at right now. And then instantly the body comes up and it's a flood form and it attacks Johnson. And this also, see this is like whenever we're kind of scrolling through this, but we're like looking at uh Nai's version of the flood versus what happened on the infinite secure. Like this is a lot more faithful it's a lot more faithful, and for me, it, it, it's much more visceral. The other, the other ones in the other panels um, that you had were much more colorful, and and they had that very comic book '90s esque of. Like, they were almost like demonic and de- yeah, it was uh, like much more zombie like. Yeah. Which I think is what the the flood are. You know, they you know in layman's terms, they're space zombies. So why not make them look like that versus like kind of like demons? You know. But yeah. So it's crazy that we see. Johnson gets attacked and he's then thrown out of the room and he's pursued by more combat forms. And again, like we're starting to see them like jumping and acting how they should. And it's just really beautiful. Like and I know like we were typically going to talk about the art at the end, but this is only art. So we're kind of describing everything we see as we're reading along through this. Yeah, because this panel you can't see, but you can't see any of these unless you buy the book. (laughs) But uh this one in and of itself is awesome because you can definitely see Nai's like anime manga style come through mm-hmm. with this jump. This is your kind of ster- not only stereotypical manga jump, but it's like kind of arms to the side, yeah. one foot behind crouching. It's just a really yeah. cool, almost like samurai ninja pose feel yeah. to it. But yet it it it's also very unique and you can tell this is for a Halo comic because mm-hmm. that's a flood form. So yeah, Johnson makes his way out and shuts the door behind him but then instantly 
we're starting to see more and more flood opposition. Like we see he runs into a, uh, a flood combat form with a shotgun, which once again, we're illustrating them using enemy weapons. And I love that little detail coming out of the shotgun. You can see the start of all the little pellets, p- yeah. pellets start to break out like really cool. And you see Johnson firing back. And I love these these use like you see like almost like Japanese symbols being thrown in there. I can't. It's 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 your typical like bam pow type stuff. Yeah. It's like rat a tat tat. Yeah, and it's really cool that those are thrown in there. Like that's kind of like what dialogue we get. Yeah, and, and I, I love that they're not forcing him to be like, okay, put all that in English. It's no. his own way of doing the style. And it's the same way he does his manga. So it's just really yeah. cool that once again, we wanted some. We want something cool. Yeah, and we we got that, and because mm-hmm. they, even like his his quotes in the comic book that when he talks about it, it even says it had to be translated. He doesn't speak any English, and I don't think they were going to try to make him work with anything like that because it would hinder what he he could do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then eventually, like you see, like Johnson started to run out of ammo, and I think they're really relating to this idea of when you are playing the game, like saying like the library, and you're you're starting to run out of ammo, and it's starting to get scarce and. Johnson doesn't really have that typical sandbox that mm-hmm. the player does. And I like is eventually he makes his way over a light bridge after killing some more flood. And as he does that, you see a flood walk up to the light bridge and turn it off, which, again, we're demonstrating the flood having that prior knowledge. He does, though, make it over over the bridge and... He, kills yeah. kills a few flood in the process like a badass. Yeah, he does this really cool like just like giant leap cuz I mean from from what it looks like it's like oh he's not going to make it. He does this really cool mm-hmm. leaping firing shooting the infection forms and then behind yeah. him you see all the combat forms drop below. Yeah. It's really cool. This is like Jason Statham stuff right here. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. Why this is the black Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. And so then he throws a grenade behind him so cool. and closes the door eliminating all threats or he doesn't close the door but then we see you know an explosion in the background and he starts to make his way out the structure you see a close-up of his face and he realizes that you know he's got to get out of there and he's the only one left and everyone he was just with is dead and finally it ends with him at the exit and you see the light coming in and that's it and again that's the shortest one if you if you didn't really sit down and look at all the details within this, it would take you, what, two minutes to read or look through, if that? Yeah, I mean, if you skimmed it, you just go through in a minute, mm-hmm. just like flip, flip, flip. Yeah, but the point of this was to to really push the art of it because, as McLeese was saying, she really wanted this to be an art project. Mm-hmm. And that's really – because when she she talked about whenever she was reading comics before she could even read, she would just look at the pictures to know what's going on. So that's what really drove this project. And I thought this piece right here truly hit that nail on the head. And you can really see that his art with his own influences really lived up to the hype of the game and actually looked like the game, which was amazing Mm -hmm. because, so this is quote, while I was working on the pages, I kept the game on and used the inner structure of 343 Guilty Spark as part of the reference materials for my illustrations. I'm still wondering if I accurately maintained consistency with the game. You did. Absolutely, which is so crazy to me. Like they're like, "Hey, give us an official quote on this game er, on your your work," and he's just like, "I hope I did okay." Which you you can literally see, you feel yourself 
in a you know like it's almost like you're you're reliving that campaign three four three guilty spark going through these yeah and so let's let's start with the structure we'll stay with it what does this story do for you what do you think about the story of it even though we're not we've got no text I I think it was it was great it it did tell a story you mm-hmm. know it illustrated a story and clearly like at the end of the day this is probably how we expected. Johnson to get out yeah. when he did it was showing his expressions and the look of dismay on his face when he sees Jenkins sitting there rotting before mm-hmm. he rises back up and we get to see a few more badass shots of Johnson doing his Johnson things you know and it, well, and it does it, it shows that his Johnson things Jesus Christ <laughs> it really <laughs> while he's doing his Johnson things it really does show uh, how badass of a Marine he is Mm-hmm. And that, like, he can hold his own, and that's why when we see his pelican crash fourteen times in every game, that he can <laughs> he can survive it and live through it. And like, mm-hmm. and he's been the rallying force for everybody. And I think we never really see it in the games, but this really shows the cross he bears, losing all these men here, and just uh-huh. every man that he does lose, just in his first facial expression when he kind of realizes, you know, what happens to Jenkins. Um, and yeah. just what's happened to everybody there, because he's just kind of looking over all this dead chaos. Yeah, and it even talks about what kind of traumatizing effect seeing the flood can have on you, and we kind of almost see that with Johnson, but he he pulls through in order to make it out to you know live to fight another day. So I think uh, he really, really illustrated this so well, and I think this was such a great great story that was in addition to it like Mm -hmm. i I loved it a lot and again like the use of like japanese symbols in there as well like whenever i first originally read this i did not read any of the text that came with it Mm -hmm. i just read the comic so i was like huh i wonder why they're including japanese symbols in this and then i eventually went back and i read everything and i was like oh my god that's pretty crazy and the fact that they were working with someone who didn't speak any english but loved this game so much Mm -hmm. as you said he's the most hardcore fan in japan like he he was so honored to do this yeah i mean he's it's just like all of us growing up he has another quote um you know in his afterward that he talks about that when he bought the original xbox he bought halo and he stayed up like every night playing with his friends Mm -hmm. and now that's I think the nature for Halo for all of us is that yeah. it brings you together. It gives that nostalgia trip, but it's playing with friends and doing that community, which I love. Mm-hmm. So you talked about illustration of the story. Now the illustration itself, what did you think of the art? The art was great. You know, it's showing Johnson instantly holding one of the infector forms and just the the fight going on. I really loved it. I said the flood, it really kept those those elements and seeing like Jenkins rise up mid transformation, and then just seeing the horror that is in front of yeah, you. Yeah, just so grotesque. Oh, what I love here, I didn't really notice before. That's some fingers. Oh my god, that is. Out. Get get this this graphic novel. Like if you can yeah. get it, it has some amazing attention to detail. And I love that when that flood, a flood that that Jenkins once goes to strike Johnson, he crosses his arms to to block it. Like I think that's just so damn cool. What about you? What did you think of the art itself? It's my favorite of all four stories so far. Um, I all I will say this for those of you who haven't seen any of this: all four stories, obviously having four different artists, are mm-hmm. incredibly unique in their art style. Yeah, and I, I 
it's amazing. It's no four is the same. It's kind of like if any of you're into comic books and you get like a guest spot that does the different cover variant for you. Mm-hmm. It feels that way, but differently for each story. Exactly, which is, which is awesome. I absolutely love this art style. It, it almost reminds me of watercolor. Yeah, it really does. Like so, it, it's just it's it's very pastelly. But then there's times where. He really, really understands color and the emotion that it brings. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this shotgun shot we're looking at right now where Johnson's ducking and firing his assault rifle, and it's just this beautiful orange and yellow that's going through it. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the blues and purples of the, you know, alien, forerunner structure. Forerunner structure. And uh, the blast, like you have needles, like look at that, like shimmer of purple around the needles there. Yeah, th- there was a lot of attention to detail, even this panel of Johnson biting the pin oh, out of yes. the grenade to throw it. Like, it was so good. Like, I think, like, artistically, this is pro- artistically, this is my favorite one mm-hmm. for sure. I loved this one. So now let's move on to the final story which is Second Sunrise over New Mombasa. And S-S-O-N-M, as the cool kids call it, was written by Brett Lewis and illustrated by Jean Mobius Giraud. This story was supposed to show a few things. By the time Master Chief arrived in New Mombasa, it was very post-invasion. So it was just desolate. You didn't see anyone around. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. all just streets with nothing on there yeah i was supposed to show that the city was a thriving city but we showed up late to the game yeah covenant had invaded yeah so so this uh comic itself shows the civilian point of view and shows it right before that covenant invasion and while he was inking and illustrating this the thought come up that he had never played halo before and but with Jero, he knew that his son was a huge fan, so he had mm-hmm. seen it being played and and kind of knew about it. Yeah, there's there's definitely like, and I can't think of the top of my head like with ever like especially superhero movies in the past where like so, an actor gets offered a role and their kids like such a fan like oh my god, dad, you mom, have to do take it. this, yeah. you know? And they're you know they, it's crazy thing like your kid is such a huge contributor to why you did this Mm -hmm. well especially they're like your gateway drug it's like ooh, let me just dabble in this and then you realize how cool it is Mm because you you hear from plenty of the actors and actresses who've played the superhero stuff especially is like Mm -hmm. i did not really know much about them but reading their backstory like i really connected and felt that like this is a really cool role to take yeah and so what about brett lewis brett lewis also had kind of an interesting way of getting about this yeah he was kind of like an anti-tech junkie not Mm -hmm. on purpose but like he didn't have a TV, he really didn't have the internet or computer, but he did have under his belt plenty of movies, video game stories that he's worked on previously. Mm-hmm. And they also talked about how much of, like, he can just do so much research in mm-hmm. order to get in that mindset to write this. Yeah, and so he ended up reading every Halo book that had been published up to that point mm-hmm. and really got a feel for the characters and a feel for what was going on and probably wrote I would say the most compelling of the four stories. Yeah, for sure. I definitely like this one because I think it, 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 spoiler, I think this is my favorite story. Mm -hmm. And you can see how this story really pushed Bungie to have him on because for him himself, he wanted to write a new Mombasa story. Mm -hmm. And whenever McLees read it, she almost cried just about the power and impact that the story had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that really says a lot before we even dive into this story. Mm -hmm. So, second sunrise over New Mombasa. Before it was reduced to rubble and carnage, New Mombasa was a glittering African jewel, a hub for commerce, transit, and politics. And before the Covenant assault finally crushed the metropolis, its citizens, private and public, fought back. 
this is their story. So to start off, like what you just read is awesome because we're now seeing what quote unquote actually happened, but just the chaos of it, of a major city getting sieged. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we start off with this really cool wide shot panel of new and old Mombasa connected by a bridge. And mm-hmm. they kind of talk about the difference between those. And we meet, uh, well, I guess we would call our protagonist. Mm-hmm. He's unnamed at the time, but <clears throat> we learn, we'll talk about it at the very end of yeah. this, of who he actually is. Yeah, so we meet him and, you know, he's a photographer. He's talking about how everyone asks, why didn't you move to one of the major cities you can make some money in, like New York? And mm-hmm. You know, he states that, well, I mean, he's in uh, Mombasa because he's working for a PR firm that's directly under Oni at this time. Yeah, that's their only client is Mm -hmm. the Office of Naval Intelligence. Yeah. And so he he goes on to talk. And a lot of this, I think for the most part, everything is pretty much said in his head unless we get some direct audio. It's it's almost like he's talking to us, the audience, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really cool. And... So we go to the next frame, and under the text, we see he's like, yeah, I shot that image. And he's like, I doctored it. I do what I have to do Mm -hmm. to basically make the people believe they're safe, and these are heroes. And it's actually the cover of Halo 2. Yeah, so this protagonist, the cover of Halo 2 is actually shot by this photographer who works for this PR firm who works for Oni. Yeah, he's basically a private but also public war photographer who's kind Mm -hmm. of working for government, but he's not because it's private. So it's basically working for a secret organization under this guise that that's all he does Mm -hmm. for that. And so he he has this inner monologue, and he's kind of like one of those badass characters in his head. He's like, yeah, yeah, I do this. You know, they say we do it to, you know, protect the populace, but, you know, there's still a creepy cover-up organization. Mm -hmm. They don't really know what's going on. Yeah, he talks about how he, like, the public sees what he wants them to see. So he does have this power as well. Yeah, and, and you can see, like, that, are we supposed to like this guy? Is he is he trying to reveal what Oni is, or is mm-hmm. he like the reason why people on Earth weren't prepared? Type thing. Yeah, we're unsure of this character at the time. Yeah, because I, I really like that he says, you know, I, tr- I'm supposed to tell the truth of the covenant, quote unquote. But whenever it's a bloody battle, it's actually just you know the the good old boys were doing okay and they're just injured. You know. Yeah, they didn't real- they have a grisly defeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though it's like. He's covering a, a a shit show that just happened between the Covenant and the UNSC. Yeah, there's a direct quote here which says, you know, you know, blood and retreat replaced with sacrifice and strategic withdrawal. Our boys, if ever shown hurt, are carried off on stretchers to safety or honors, having saved their platoon, you know. Yeah, so definitely really he's kind of diving into like... What the civilians know about the war is not what's actually happening, which I'm sure you can relate to as a photographer. Yeah. This is your job? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is my job. No, I have to deal with none of this. But, I mean, with with any war stuff, I mean, there's always PR. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. there's blackouts for certain areas. You know, Mm -hmm. you always want to push the at-home stuff, and you want to animalize the enemy. Exactly. That they live in huts or weird stuff. We won't get political with that, but that's what you do yeah. as a PR firm. Mm-hmm. So we see a frame after he's kind of finished his monologue that is all these things about we want to keep the economy moving. We should have negotiated with the covenants. All these people giving their own two cents who have never seen war. And mm-hmm. we see kind of two, a man and a woman kind of jovial saying, you know, it's... It, in a liberal term, like kind of like a, oh, it's expansionism that's causing this whole thing to happen. So they're giving their own highfalutin 
let's say that, terms mm-hmm. and, and ways to kind of talk about this whole war. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like it's at home. It's light years away. Yeah, it's it's no one really knows. And then I like this next shot. Mm-hmm. It kind of gets a little more grim because he's like in the heart of like old Mombasa. Yeah, so so the way to think of it, new Mombasa is the business district. It's kind of the mm-hmm. ritzy area. Mm-hmm. And the old is kind of where poor lower class people might be, mm-hmm. where it's people trying to scrape by. And he goes past this man who, you know, offers this print and it's an actual photographic print and it is showing African tribe or at least African tribal shields, spears and some people standing there posing mm-hmm. for this image. That's what the vibe it's giving off. And it, it, it's black and white. So it's supposed to be very old. Yeah, it's supposed to be very old. And our protagonist also says, you know, I usually don't come down this way because I don't fit in. I really don't understand the dialect. So I have to keep my translator on. So it's showing that there is a divide between old mm-hmm. and new. And he talks about that translator, which will will mm-hmm. get referenced here soon. Yeah, so so he's got that kind of plugged in, and he's just in a city, and he said, no one will forget where they were on that day. Yeah, kind of, it's almost like this is kind of like the the 9-11 of like, you know, you, you remember where you were when you found out the towers had fallen. This is mm-hmm. kind of that equivalent of like, you'll remember when you heard about the covenant finding Earth. Yeah, and, and you'll remember that if, if you were there, you remember every tidbit of what happened. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as the this last frame ends with these kind of lights streaking down and people staring up at the sky trying to figure out what's going on, it's almost... We just see that it almost looks like a light show or, or like just like a meteor, meteors kind of going by. Mm-hmm. And so we see then he goes into... It's like a flashback almost right before. Like mm-hmm. he's seeing these lights, something's coming, and then it instantly cuts to flashback. Yeah, and he goes to flashback and he's at his, you know, quote unquote job, which is actually an Oni base. Yeah. And so he goes in and he's, you know, he says, yeah, they're saying it was something with a gas valve venting pressure, you know, something, something, just all this kind of rhetoric that's around that doesn't have anything to do with him. And I love this frame. So he's going up, he's kind of scanning in for work. And you see in the top right of the frame is just grisly war images Mm -hmm. of just like just burnt husks of bodies and things like that. And you have a, let's say commanding officer, someone who's over him, Mm -hmm. um, is telling him to doctor these images up, to basically Photoshop them to make it look less gruesome. And you yeah. know, he's saying, take out uh take out the exit wound. At least take that out, you know. Yeah. He says it wants it he wants this photo of this dead soldier to be more adventurous. And I I like that this photographer is like, what does that even mean? Uh, that's my life. <laughs> <laughs> make it more of uh, this. And you're like, uh, So this what? is where you relate. This was where I relate hundred percent. And so he's like, Can you be more specific exactly how much more adventurous and then of course he comes back with your typical client response uh you know 25 percent more feeling of adventure you know and he's just <laughs> like uh does this work yeah and i like he even kind of jokes like how about we just tell them what's really happening like he he, he says he likes to like bust their balls yeah, it's, occasionally. It's, like his, it's like his one power move he has over them because they do need him for this pr stunt mm-hmm. and so he kind of like gives him jabs he's like why well, is Tell him what's going on. Yeah, but you tell him how screwed we are. Yeah, yeah this commander kind of starts giving out examples of of back in the day, like whenever British Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not telling the civilians what's really going on, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which again, I like little things like that that's going on. Yeah, because because and it goes back to it's so funny how 
all of this. It's possibly even like an old training regimen because we learn when the Spartans are doing it. It's like all these old war tactics. Mm-hmm. So whenever this you know military officer who's probably within the PR kind of intelligence firm of mm-hmm. within Oni that just deals with this, they're probably dealing with like, here's when this you know Iwo Jima had images blacked out. Uh, up until we could kind of say what we wanted and didn't report the actual casualties until later. So stuff like that is just really cool that you have little history tidbits. Yeah, definitely. And I think that is a nod to the fall of Reach. Mm -hmm. And so so we we go on, we're we're continuing that, and it says, you know, we, we can't tell them because look what happened to those outer colonies. Unrest, just mass civil panic. It's huge, but we can't do that at Earth. We don't want that. Yeah, because Earth is the only colony left. Mm-hmm. This is the only thing that kind of confused me is because then we, like, move on to the train. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I thought the panel when he was standing outside right before he bought that print is whenever they saw, like, the Covenant coming. But then, spoiler alert, he's on a train when the Covenant comes. So I was always confused about this. This is the one thing that was kind of ambiguous. And I guess... I guess... The panel previously, um, which is showing him with some civilians around old Mombasa. Is that supposed to be him on that train? Possibly. It's either him on the train or just a panel. I, I think it's supposed to be. Yeah, I think you, that... you can kind of see in this secondary panel when he's talking to this nerd about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you see he's holding the print. So I think, yeah, they jumped a little ahead. Yeah. But now he's on a train and all of a sudden we're seeing news reports and people looking out in the background. Like, yeah, because I believe this is him going back to New Mombasa because he's mm-hmm. taking the train across and so he's saying there's another guy from New York and he's <laughs> I guess they just tried to put him in that he's like this like nerdy dude who's talking about how if you have FTL travel faster than light travel you should be able to get a pizza in any city <laughs> and it's just like this like weird like train talk which I guess a lot of people especially in like New York and you know various other areas where like just randos talk to you yeah it's just like dumb stuff they have to get off their chest so it starts with him. He's looking at that, and then he's looking at this like kind of laptop pad, I guess you would say, that's tracking these what look to be like fallen debris or meteorites. Mm-hmm. And then it's we actually see that the Covenant have found Earth. Yeah, and are these these are bodies like falling from space? Mm-hmm. It looks like yeah, so it's like bodies falling from space. That were killed in battle. Yeah, and they're just deteriorating within it, and they're crash landing. Showing kind of that gruesomeness of war. Yeah, and then they're just planting down. They're, they're causing destruction. They're, they're rupturing streets, and then it hits the train that he's on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see him passed out in a train amongst what I'll assume is probably dead bodies. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after this, we see a panel where the mass panic sets in. Mm-hmm. You have a soldier, whether it be a Marine or whatever party was from, trying to gather people in to this area as he gets shot. Yeah. And we see, and then it shows our photographer waking up in a hospital. Yeah. And, and this quote I love where, you know, he before he's talking about like, I handle the news. There's no raw oh, footage that yeah. goes out. And he goes, raw footage. No one is formatting the news. Swear to God, that's the first thing I thought of when I wake up. I love that because it's like it's so ingrained into him that what he does that it's just like the first thing he thought was, oh, God, no one's no one's filtering this. Yeah. So crazy. And that goes in as we'll see in these later panels. 
I mean, it shows the soldier aspect in him. They're like, I have to do my duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then uh, you see this kind of this Marine walk in and said, anyone who can walk, follow me. He's yeah. looking for a resistance right now. Yeah, because they're trying to export. And you, you, you see this, this blurb over the loudspeaker, you know, advising all citizens to attempt to escape through the metro tunnels or to the sea. Yeah. And, and you see, he leaves he leaves a, that print with uh, that's on a bed next to him with this woman, mm-hmm. which I think I I just like that little thing of him. Just it's almost like a, he may not make it. Here is here is just here's a gift to this person that's injured. Yeah. And, and you can There's, also think of it because that older man who he bought it from, you know, he said in his own dialect, like print, they say print is dead. Think of that as like that's human history in his hands. And he mm-hmm. is he is leaving that with her to preserve human history. And yeah. he's going out to do what he can to help keep that. Yeah. And it's, you know, we move on and it just shows that we have civilians trying to fight back and it's not working. And it's cool. It's the first time, like, we're actually seeing them, like, just throwing weapons in these civilians' hands. Got a dual guy just dueling pistols and, like, an yeah. Earth T-shirt. And <laughs> what I love, though, is since this guy has seen so much of this war footage, you know, he brings up, they think this is the attack. They think they can fight back, defend. Yeah. This is just the front-line wave for them to actually bring soldiers in. So he's mm-hmm. talking about how scarabs come in first. And, we, you know, we see that in Halo 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we we start to see that maybe a brew or elite. It's kind of hard because it's small. I think that's a... I think knows? it's supposed... I, I thought the same thing when I was reading this. I think it's supposed to be an elite because everyone else is an elite. Yeah, and if I'm correct, all up until the Great Schism, the brutes weren't supposed to come on the ground mm-hmm. because they, they didn't have that honor. But yeah, and we see, like, that Covenant transport and... It just seeing kind of like it's not going well for the humans trying to fight back. No, because communications are cut. Uh, they can't send any broadcast outside the city. So it's it's a huge panic. And, they're, you know, they're saying the city's already lost. We are all dead. Yeah, it's just a matter of when we die. Yeah, because the covenant comes not to dominate or to colonize, but to destroy. Just decimate. That's it. Yeah. That's that's their only mission. And now they have the world that they need to decimate more than ever. Mm-hmm. And then I, I like that. It is kind of funny because it's like he comes to fight, but he's just sitting on his laptop. And it's like, why did you come? Well, I think, I think that harkens back to like, it goes back to he still needs to do the news. He still needs to put this out or, you know, he's doing what he can because it goes back up to this panel where he's like, uh, you know, communications with the world outside Mombasa are being blocked. So he's kind of going over the laptop and be like, maybe I can radio out of here. Yeah. And then we see the Covenant kind of say something in their own language and talks about that translator that apparently can also translate Covenant language because it says, we need to clear this area before we can secure access to the Ark. And then instantly we see that that commander is like, get that recording out of the city. So now he has like an actual mission. He needs to get out of the city. Yeah, so he's with like, what looks like a gunnery sergeant who's mm-hmm. in fatigues and he's just, just kind of out there and he's like, you get out of here, we'll do this. So you see all these other uh, civilians and soldiers like sacrificing their life so he can get out with that laptop with that translated message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's running past dead bodies on the street. And this is where we kind of see the ferries and all these boats trying to make their way off. And it's basically like... It's just chaos. Yeah, it's it's hundreds of people trying to leave. I mean, it, and he's saying like anything that floats. So you're seeing like big oil tanker looking things, cruise liners, uh, little tiny ships all trying to leave this port. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and he, he and we never talked about it. he lose he he's always like wearing like these kind of like sunglasses and mm-hmm. they get like banged off of him because some soldier shuts the gate and then yeah he's trying to he's trying to make his way through because he's in this crowd he's in like the twenty eight weeks later type crowd where like everyone's trying to get through but they're trying to get yeah. tested and like they're like no one there's no more boat so he's like the last to kind of clink through loses his glasses and you see this last lifeboat being filled with people. Mm-hmm. And then we see this this little girl standing there crying alone, which is clearly she lost her parents somehow and no one's helping her. Yeah. And, and you, you hear the loudspeaker or like in his own thought collapsed uh, metro tunnels, trapping hundreds and cutting off the only escape route. Like it's like it cuts off there. And so yeah. he stops, looks at her, gives her the laptop and says, maybe they will make it. But. What will it matter? Yeah, he puts her on like one of the last ships out, and it's implied like, "Hey, take get this out." And yeah. then, and you see him return to work. Yeah, he gets back, and you see he's he's sitting there, and you see an elite with its foot over that print that he gave to that woman, implying she probably didn't make it out. Yeah, that that place is already stormed. But the last panel is amazing. It's just this huge. Kind of TV headquarters, multiple monitors. It's, huge it's TVs. like a bat cave almost. It's pretty know? much the bat cave of media. And he says, This is the first day of the end of the world. And I think this kind of plays off of Halo 3's This is the way the world ends. Mm-hmm. And that line alone, we will talk about in our Halo 3 episode because it, I think it, there's a lot more to it and to how they got it. But this one, definitely, man, yeah, you just see him almost like just sitting there seeing all these elites going through the city. And it's definitely like you're really seeing the horrors of this war. Yeah. And and he's doing the one job he can do during this. And it's to broadcast all of this. Mm -hmm. It's to work in here and make sure the cameras are up and people can see what's going on. Maybe say, you know, elites are down this road or this area. Try and go this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just. It's interesting to see that, you know, everyone else has abandoned this facility, but he's doing what he does. Yeah, it's definitely that sad story that Halo really likes to tell. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the end of it. And I and I really want to stress how much this is a very good fucking story. I loved this story. It is. It's it's it is. It's it's amazing what they were able to tell in a much shorter story than the first one mm-hmm. and just in a, a different eclectic art style. I mean, Jesse, what, what would you say? I know that we were talking about this is probably the best story uh-huh. of them, but what kind of grabs you the most from it? I think it's like the the emotion of him taking the like seeing people just dying left and right, him knowing that there's no hope and then sending the little girl off and he just goes back to just see the chaos. And I think it's that last shot of the elite's foot on the photograph he left for the woman, mm-hmm. implying that whole hospital is gone. Because the fact that he left it inside and potentially that elite is outside or even in the hospital, it's just like they're all gone. What well, what what is it for you that really gets you about the story? I I just love that it, it brings up real world things of especially cover ups during war. But that he's like, we need to tell these people what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. We need to be prepared. And they're like, don't worry. You know, they'll never find Earth. We've got the colonies. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Why would they come to our city anyway? Because they kind of bring that up. Why would you pick Mombasa to yeah. attack at all? Because it's, it's got the goddamn arc, Oni. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. So it, I, I think the story was told very well. It was different. 
because this is a whole different comic format of doing, you have thought bubbles, you have voice mm -hmm. bubbles, you have kind of loudspeaker things. Then you have his inner monologue too, which is yeah. different colors. Like at any given time on a page, there's like three or four different things going on mm -hmm. text wise. Like it, what he's thinking, what people are saying, what's going on on a loudspeaker, as you said. It was pretty cool. And even the art itself was pretty good. I liked it. It was like as as grim as the story was, it was like almost brighter. You know, yeah. it was more vibrant. But it, that is, this is an attack during like it looks like kind of the evening with like kind of the way mm -hmm. the lighting is and lighting's coming down. So I really liked that. I think I think the art style as well is pretty great. You can really see some uh, true expressions of like fear and panic and someone dying, you know? And like this grisly frame where we have what I assume are, you know, soldiers that the ship exploded outside and they're coming down. They're the meteorites coming down. You see them just start to disintegrate. Like that's such a grisly frame mm -hmm. that does really tell the story. And there's also this kangaroo. Is there a kangaroo? <laughs> there's some, yeah, it literally, there's a panel of, it looks like a kangaroo in a onesie. Yeah. It's fantastic. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. This is, this is a really great story. I want to say that, that spoiler, if you've ever heard Hunt the Truth podcast, this unnamed protagonist is Ben Giraud, the main character of season one. So I think it's really, really cool that years and years later in 2015, 14 or 15, mm -hmm. that they just randomly grab this character and they're like, let's make you know, like like bring this guy in like and he fits the halo universe he's a badass who's not afraid to sacrifice himself for the greater good mm -hmm. you know you see him where he's doing this news reports he knows a bit about war but there's several panels where you see him firing a gun he was in a hospital bed and like anyone can walk he's like me he could have said i can't walk but he instantly got up as like i have a job to do yeah and then you see the last frame he's still doing his job he's he is an earth soldier not maybe not necessarily a unsc or an Oni personnel since he's mm -hmm. a contractor, but he's doing his own work for humanity. Yeah. And so, again, probably my favorite story uh, throughout this. And, you know, that that's basically essentially the, the quote-unquote end to the comics. Mm -hmm. I know that's only about half of this comic. No, nah, it's about two-thirds of this comic. About two-thirds bordering on, you know, yeah. three-quarters of it. But yeah. we still have some pages. Yeah, because then they have additional art. You know, at the end of the book, it contains art created for the graphic novel from artists Doug Alexander, Rick Barry, Jeff Darrow, Scott Fisher, Sterling Hundling, Craig Mullins, Tasamu Nai, George Pratt, Juan Ramirez, George Staples, Justin Sweet, John Van Fleet, Kent Williams, and Pieces from Bungie Artist. We would also see art from Frank O'Connor and Martin O'Donnell. Yeah, so the biggest reason we see that is that McLeese said, we wanted this to be an art book, but we obviously couldn't have, you know, 50 stories because of money and time and all of uh -huh. those things. But she said... I still want to show off this cool ass art. Uh huh. And then so she reached out to these artists and said, do a one or, you know, two panel or two page, sorry, edit and, and get a really cool art piece for this. Like mm -hmm. do it in your own style. And she said, choose your favorite moment from Halo. Mm -hmm. What's your interpretation of it? Yeah. Like give us an interpretation of like what Halo is to you. And I think, you know, we even used one for the episode thumbnail for this episode. And mm -hmm. I think 
it, it was really cool to see all of this. Now, amongst all of these, on page 122, it's almost kind of like its own story. Mm -hmm. This page shows a coded conversation between two people discussing Johnson, Halsey, the Orion Project, and the Spartan Project. It's it's very coded and kind of vague. So re read and definitely do some outside research because there are people who have decoded like what the Each names bit, are, yeah. yeah, and who they're who they're talking about because it, it doesn't just say. Uh, what about Halsey? What about Johnson? What about the Orion Project? Everything's coded that people mm -hmm. actually went out there and broke down people a lot smarter than us. So let's move on to the general reaction of the graphic novel. Mm -hmm. Many critics love the diverse art style within the comic and different methods of storytelling, though some critics would point out the lack of Master Chief in the comics, making only one brief appearance, though this really wouldn't affect the sales. Yeah, though, but, sorry to interrupt, but like, who cares? Yeah. Why would, like, that would be so Boring, in my opinion. Those, it would be boring just to have him in every panel. Well, it, those were people. I guarantee the few people that said that were people that had only played the games. Guarantee, only, only played the games, or they were from something like uh, Bill. Go review that Halo graphic novel. Yeah, and he's like, uh, there's no green guy in all these. He's only <laughs> yeah. on the front. And yeah, on the two guy things. from Doom is only in like yeah. <laughs> three of these. What's going on with What's that? What's going on? Yeah, though games of books. Uh, Though games to comic series were rarely successful, the Halo graphic novel proved otherwise. It debuted number two on both Nielsen Book Scan and Diamond Sales charts and continued to stay on the charts months after its debut. The success of the Halo comic would extend the deal between Marvel and Bungie, and later that year, they would announce Halo Uprising at Comic-Con 2006. So yeah, so... Thanks to them, we'll have another podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, Halo Uprising will be something we will be covering here very soon after Ghost of Onyx, mm -hmm. which it's it's a great read. Just spoiler alert, but yeah. So overall, at the end, we're gonna drop down to what we thought about it. So let's start with you, Alex. As a whole, this a book. What did you think? Comics, art, everything. As a whole, I think they nailed what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I think when they went in and said, we just want to see something cool, I think the artists, the writers, the editors, everything really compiled it really well. Mm -hmm. The diverse art style, I think, was necessary because if you had one art style for all four stories, it wouldn't feel coherent. It would feel weirdly no. all out of place. Yeah. Or you're trying to all put it all in the universe at the same time. That's mm -hmm. what it would feel like to me. Lore-wise, I think it cleared up or added some to things people were wondering, especially the Johnson thing. They had mentioned mm -hmm. here, too, that they left it up to the player's, you know, imagination. Because otherwise, it would just be a weird retelling of it. And, mm -hmm. like, plus, I think Bungie didn't really know what they were doing at the time. When they yeah, were like, they... Johnson comes back. Even though we killed him there, and even though we killed him in the legendary ending... And he's then, back. Yeah, we kind of saw him in first strike, but it was still no real explanation. Yeah. So I think stuff like that. Giving backstory to to half jaw. Like, yeah. Because I, I like the idea that they just randomly gave this character half a jaw to show that he was battle hardened. But mm -hmm. I, you know, one person out there was like, why? Why does, why does he have a half jaw? Let's all, well, sit down, kid. I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. So I, I would love if they continued tropes, like stuff like this for each game. Mm -hmm. And had like mini stories that would push it. Even like Maria's story. Mm -hmm. You don't need that story at all. And all you really did was you made people more confused on who the Spartan is and why she got to retire. Uh, but it really drove that story, which I loved. And I thought yeah. the art style in that one was fun. It was uplifting. It was really out of all of them, the only like super 
uplifting one in all these like battle weary war ridden stories mm-hmm. yeah because the rest are kind of depressing and that one this was almost like some morale even among yeah. the spartans of like oh once he gets this he's good to go and, and just showing they're having fun it's paintballs it's a training exercise mm-hmm. yeah she's happy they're joking that's the one they're doing it. Every other one is death and decay mm-hmm. and hopes for survival. Yeah. I, and one thing I really appreciated was the art in the back, like flipping through it right now. Like I think my favorite piece is the one of Tartarus just sitting on this stone mm-hmm. throne with those glowing eyes because he's one of my favorite characters. And I love truly you see this malevolent being just yeah. sitting there ready to destroy everything yeah and one special thing we'll do with you guys you're already going to see it but we're going to kind of share a lot of those back pages on instagram Mm -hmm. just to give really big shout outs on how cool the art is since Mm -hmm. we can't really describe it for you like we can give little tidbits but like it looks like this it's a cool sketch guys you should really check it out well go to our instagram after you know if you follow us already before you listen to this episode you'll see that we're going to be posting some of the art from here Mm -hmm. but even if you don't follow us on instagram for any reason go go check out our instagram once you hear this episode because we're going to be sharing this art and definitely like that tartarus picture i talked about we'll for sure make it up there as long as kind of alex and i's favorites Mm -hmm. but yeah i think overall this really it was you know just having saying you know bungee say just Give us something cool. And the fact that really art is what drove this. It was yeah. for like what Maria was like, we can do this on time. Uh, it's going to be a little rushed, but, you know, we can do this and kind of make some money. And having McLeese just be like, no, I, I just I just want, a, you know, like it, it's really hard in this day and age for, you know, because at the end of the day, like you look at the artwork in a comic, but you don't pick up a comic and say this is art. You know, as I said, you kind of break it down to the art in there versus the whole cohesive thing, the story it's telling. Does the artwork tell the story as well? Does it lend a hand to that? And I I think they were definitely pioneers who pushed a lot of the independent artists who are out now. Like they pulled a lot of people pulled their styles from that. I mean, there's plenty of really cool image and dark horse comics that I still read that give a feel to a lot of this. Mm -hmm. And you can see the artists are allowed to break the mold at times mm-hmm. and they can do it their own way. Yeah, and even the Halo community has an abundance of mm-hmm. of of artists who make their own things. We follow a lot of them. We have a few that post their art in our Discord and it's really cool when that happens. And by all means, you know, as as two people ourselves who have worked with some kind of medium of art growing up Alex still does for a living, I think it's really cool to have something like this, you know, necessarily as a whole package, we we're, we have yet to see anything like this still from Halo. I think this was truly just, as they said, this was a vanity project, mm-hmm. and I think it was awesome. Yeah, and to finally wrap this up, too, it's it's cool that Bungie will allow licensing to kind of go where it can to be cool things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, like, their deal with Megablocks and, like, all these other things. Like, obviously, it's a moneymaker, mm-hmm. but it's also to keep pushing fans of halo to keep creating in their own way yeah definitely any kind of medium that halo can be in halo is in from bungie to 343 extending all those deals Mm -hmm. it's pretty damn cool to see so yeah overall thanks for thanks for tuning into this one it was our first comic i know it was it was really fun to do definitely breaking down marvel itself and how this all came about i know a lot of the information we got for this episode 
actually came from this graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of outside research when it came to the research about the book itself. Again, check out this book if you haven't already. It's a great read. And Alex, I know you want to say a few things before we part ways. Yeah, I just want to say this past Saturday, July 13th, we just had our second quote-unquote official game night, mm-hmm. um, and it was amazing. I think we had, at time, 12 of you total, 13 of you, from our Instagram and our Discord channels that came in, and we just played some fun games. Game night, for us, it's you can get competitive, but it's not about that. It's about having fun and reliving goofy, dumb stuff we used to do. So mm-hmm. please come to our next one if you can. It'll be in... Two weeks, so not this upcoming Saturday, the Saturday afterwards. Yeah, if you're first hearing this episode. Yeah, if you're first hearing this. And also join our Discord. We mm-hmm. have links to our Discord in all of our channels. So on our with our podcast release, with our SoundCloud, um, as well as on YouTube, on our Instagram, mm-hmm. you'll be able to find all those things. And yeah. it's just really cool community building. Mm-hmm. We are at 101 members right now. Woo! So we are 16 off of being a meme. Yeah. And and by all means, we've had, you know, if, if if a link doesn't work for you for any reason, or sometimes we switch it out on our Instagram to put a link for the episodes, mm-hmm. message us, we'll always send it to you. Yeah. Everyone's welcome. It's great. Daily conversations happening about lore, about gaming. Uh, we have a meme section, everything. Any, yeah. Anything that will appeal to the common Halo fan or the hardcore Halo fan. Yeah. And as always, please let us know what you thought of this episode, mm-hmm. what you think of what we're kind of doing as a whole. Jesse and I are having a lot of fun with this, and we want to make sure that you guys are too. Yeah. So, yeah, just please send any comments your way and let us know what you think. Yeah, we're definitely always looking to improve. As I said, Alex called me at like noon today. We talked on the phone for like an hour mm-hmm. just about the podcast, about today and like future plans with the podcast. So and even talked about things that you guys told us and how we should implement the the ideas that we did like. So, again, our doors are always open. Please tell us what you think and what you'd like to hear. And we would love to try to tell you what you want to hear. And with that, I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. Halo, it's finished. No, I think we're just getting started.